All right. How many of you have ever been overwhelmed? All right. It's 100%, pretty much. So we are in this series called Overwhelmed. Last week, well, let's go from the beginning just to catch everybody up. Uh, week one, we talked about perspective and how that's paramount in our life. When we're going through hard times, when we're going through difficult challenges, having the right perspective is important. In week two, we talked about what we need to do when we are stressed. Some of those things include us being able to pray, read the word of God, uh, follow godly counsel, those sorts of things. Then week three last week was all about the missing element, we said, or missing person in many believers' lives when they're going through an overwhelming circumstance. And I believe uh, that message was, uh, was a powerful message, not because I'm going like this to me. I just believe it has powerful truth in it. If you were not here last week, I encourage you to listen to it online on our website. It's called The Missing Person. And it talks about how we need the Holy Spirit in this life and how accessible he is to us when we're going through overwhelming things is really important. Um, today, I want us to look at an example of somebody in scripture who um, surely had many times an opportunity in his life to be overwhelmed. In fact, I believe he had entire seasons of his life where he was overwhelmed. Uh, and I want us to draw some wisdom from his experience. Maybe you'll find yourself somewhere in his story, not in the details necessarily that we talk about today, but maybe. Uh, otherwise, you'll find yourself somewhere in the scenario and say, yep, that applies to me. I can use that in my circumstance, in my situation. So I hope today that you leave here encouraged, uh, knowing that God is for you and he loves you. What a powerful thought. He's a faithful God and he loves you. I tell my girls, daddy loves you no matter what. Doesn't matter what wrong you do. Doesn't matter if you slap me in the face. It does matter, but uh, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things because I will love you regardless of your behavior. I want to tell you today, God loves you regardless of your behavior. That is, this is a safe place for us to talk about this. It's not a cop-out for you to go and live like they say the devil from Monday to Saturday, uh, or in our case, it's Tuesday to Saturday because we meet again on Monday night. But anyway, uh, it's not an excuse or a cop-out for you to live the life that you want to live outside of the confines of God's love and then expect him to just show up again. Okay? But we do say that he takes a mess. He takes a broken thing and he makes something whole and beautiful. He's done it in my life. He's done it in many of our lives. So as we think about the things that we may have been overwhelmed by before, you might think about a scenario or a situation where you've been overwhelmed and you don't think you quite got out of it what you were supposed to. Maybe it was overwhelming and you felt like Paul pressed, well, he says pressed but not crushed, but you feel crushed. You feel like this did not turn out the way I wanted it to. You feel like, you know what? We talk about hope. We talk about the word of God being a light to our path. We talk about the need for the Holy Spirit, but something just didn't jive. It didn't fall into place the way that I thought it was going to. And then there are those who you may feel very victorious and you say, well, I went through something and I'm telling you, God brought me out on the other side of it and I know now the next thing I go through, how I'm gonna handle it. But guess what? Things change. 
Our life changes. The scenario doesn't stay the same. So the next time that it happens, we have different challenges, even if it's identical to the previous thing. So I want you to just stay tuned in this morning, talking about being overwhelmed. And I want us to look at the life of David. King David was a guy who you could definitely say had times in his life as well as entire seasons of his life where he was overwhelmed. David was the second king of Israel. And God's word declares that he was a man after God's own heart. Now, this is a powerful statement because David himself found, found himself in, not as a result of uh, accident, but as a result of his own choosing, found himself in the place of becoming an adulterer, a liar, a deceiver, you could say, a murderer. Uh, but yet God calls him a man after his own heart. Is God a liar, deceiver, adulterer, murderer? No. But he says something that's really important, which is what I started out by saying. Your performance isn't what counts. It's what your position is. And so God called David his own and said, I'm going to make you king. You've got a heart that's flexible, that's malleable, that's able to be changed. I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you on the throne of my people. And the Bible says that God made a covenant with him that there would never reign a man who was not in his heritage line over the people of Israel. And that at some point in the future, a forever king who is in the same line of David would be the one who sits on the throne. And he does today. Jesus Christ, his lineage that's talked about in the beginning of the Gospels, traces his line all the way through David, all the way back to Adam. But it, it shows us that he is in the line of David. So we're going to talk about David a little bit. If you remember some of the um, things that we've talked about recently, we've said that when we're overwhelmed, there are three things at play. One is, it could be my own stupid fault. <laughs> The second is, it could be God trying to give me a wake-up call. And the third, the third is the devil, the enemy. He's far down the line. We blame him for a lot of stuff he shouldn't get credit for, okay? And we also blame God for things that he does not deserve the, the credit for, uh, stuff that happens in our own life. So I say that to preface the story of David. He's a boy at the time that he becomes anointed king. There's already a guy who's sitting on the throne. He's not in the royal lineage of the guy who's there. He's looked down upon. The Bible tells us about David's life, and you can read him living his life through Psalms. And uh, he writes about all the different experiences he had. It talks about him being hunted down like a wild animal by the present king after God promised him that he would be the next guy. This is troubling for him. Then he becomes an adulterer and a murderer. He's told he'd be king, but he's not in the same royal line that has been established by that first king. Saul's son, Jonathan, or any of the other children never served on the throne of Israel, but David and all of his line did. So God makes that promise, and it's important for us to know that God keeps his promise. When we read at the end of John chapter 16, and he says, I'm going to give you peace. I have overcome the world. We sing about it in the past tense, in the present tense, and in the future tense. He has overcome. He is overcoming. He will overcome. The same thing is true of his kids. That's you and I. We have the ability to overcome and not to just be overwhelmed. Uh, I want to give a disclaimer. I don't see young, young people in the room, but uh, today the message does involve scandal, 
We're going to read some stuff that's not so G-rated in the Word of God, uh, but it's, it's something that we need to hear this morning about the life of David. After David had slept with Bathsheba, who was not his wife, if you remember the story, he also killed her husband Uriah. God uses the prophet Nathan to confront David on his sin. Listen to what God says to David in 2 Samuel 12, verses 7 through 15. The prophet Nathan speaking God's voice to David to his ear. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. And you, the house of Israel and of Judah... And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. This is pretty incredible to hear God say these words. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. And you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and you've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife, unless you weren't counting. That's three times. <laughs> he's just making sure he's got the point. Thus says the Lord in verse 11, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel, before the sun. Verse 13 of the same chapter there in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel says this. So David said to Nathan, okay, I got the message. <laughs> I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You're not going to die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. So God used the prophet Nathan to confront David in his sin and he talks to him about all the things that happened. He's saying, yes, I've sinned against the Lord. God says the ramification or the, the end result of your sin is death. Just like I've been telling you since Adam and Eve, if you do these things, it will result in death. He still says that today. It may not happen in a physical way, but it's spiritual death when we sin against God. So here in this passage of scripture, the child that's born to David and Bathsheba, their firstborn, although David had had other children before, now the Bible tells us the story continues. God keeps that promise as well. So a few days after the birth of the child, the child is dead. He's fallen sick, fallen ill, and David is just sick about it. He doesn't know what to do. And then he's, he gets over it because he says, okay, God's hand has, has taken this child. So he starts to live in the way that he should. The next child that comes along through him and Bathsheba, this is awesome, is Solomon. Redemption is possible, even in the midst of your own stupidity. I'm talking to me. <laughs> Redemption is possible even in the midst of your own mess up, even when you've botched it up, even when you've fouled out. God still is out to redeem, not to revenge, not to hit you over the head with a hammer, but 
there are circumstances that do require that as we see in the life of David. So this is the foundation of the message and it's important that you understand it's the starting line right now. This is the beginning of the message, but it's really the finish line. I'm gonna clue you in at the end at the starting point, okay? So I gave you the end before I give you the beginning. But we're talking about David and his response in overwhelming circumstances. In 2 Samuel 13 verse one, if you wanna go there, go ahead and feel free to. 2 Samuel 13, verse 1 says this, After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. In that verse, the interpretation that we understand from the original language doesn't mean I just love her like a brother loves a sister. It means he had erotic dimension to his love. It means that he wanted to be with his sister. It was unhealthy, ungodly, unchecked passion. So, keeping that in mind, Amnon, David's oldest son, assaulted his half-sister Tamar. Absalom's sister. That's in the whole chapter there of 2 Samuel, which we can't read today because we got like 16 other chapters to read. All right. So at first, Absalom, stay with me. I hope you're with me today. So at first, Absalom, David's third son, he bided his time. When the opportunity rises a few years later in the end of the chapter, verses 23 to 29, there's a, a special festival going on. Instead of Mardi Gras, it was sheep shearing time, okay? And this festival comes along, and when it happens, his brother comes, and he gets drunk at the party, and then Absalom says, I've got him now. So he orders his servants to go kill that low-down, dirty, no-good, rotten scoundrel who slept with my sister. So he dies. So he's become a murderer. Absalom then takes refuge with his mother's father at a place called Gesher, northeast of the, the Sea of Galilee, where he remained there for three years. So get the picture, okay? The assault we talked about is rape. It, it's plain and simple. He rapes his sister. Then he puts her out of the house when he... All of a sudden, the Bible says after the act, he despises her. He puts her out of the house, and when he does that, she takes refuge in Absalom's house. So Absalom is now nursing her wounds, healing, helping, whatever. She's with him, and now she's just all out there by herself. She's living as if she's a widow, essentially, in this house. So now he's been growing bitter, more and more bitter. The Bible says he actually talks to his brother and says, hey, bro, this is not the thing to do. Don't go this route, and he does anyway. Then revenge happens, if you're following that same train of thought. And now a, self, um, a self-imposed exile happens. He's scared of what dad is going to do when he finds out. It's not that dad didn't know that something else happened between the sister and the brother, but it's now that I've killed my brother and my daddy's going to find out. I'm going to tuck tail and run. I'm going to go hide with mom's side of the family. So he goes and he's in hiding. This is what we're talking about today. David's son, Absalom. We were joking, a couple of us before service this morning, about politics. You mentioned politics, and I said to somebody, which they almost got in their car and left, but I said, today I'm preaching about politics. Isn't that awesome? No, you will not hear me preach a message for a candidate. You will not hear me do that kind of thing. What I'm going to tell you, though, on the heels of Super Tuesday and a super stupid election cycle, um, we're going to talk about ancient politics, because they were dumb too, all right? Those politics back then. And politicians. <clears throat> uh, anyway, so we're going to talk about politics. And this is what happens with David, okay? Absalom decides that the old king, 
That old man sitting on the throne, he doesn't know. He's, he's lost touch. He's not the candidate for you. So he decides that he's going to trump his dad. Did you get it? You got it. One of, okay, a couple of you. He decides he's going to trump his dad. He's going to get in there. And this is what he, he, he does. He returns to Jerusalem. It's all under the pretense of peace. And I'm kind of summarizing like six chapters for you. So just stick with the information. So he doesn't present himself like a warrior or a military leader equal or superior to David, but as a leader who is interested in domestic affairs. Because he feels like, you know, that's dad's weak point. He's been all about, you know, homeland security. <laughs> you with me? But, but domestic affairs, he hadn't really done too much. So Absalom gets up early every morning and goes and sits in the Bible, what it calls in numerous places, the prominent place at the city gate. So everybody who was traveling to the city to come lodge a complaint. Did you know my neighbor stole my land and stole my sheep and stole my wife or whatever it is that they complained about back then? So then they would come to the gate of the city. They would hear the advice of those who were the counselors there. And Absalom would sit there on his high horse and he would say, well, if I were the king, you know, it's too bad that you've got that complaint because King David, I don't think he's going to do anything about that. You know, he's not all about the justice thing. Did you catch that? He's got something which we talk about in here very honestly and vulnerably. He's got something that we call and the Bible calls a root of bitterness that's developed in the heart of Absalom because dad didn't do what he was supposed to do. I'm going to show him up. I'm going to dethrone him and I'm going to sit on his throne and I am going to be the guy who's the champion of justice. Oh, I'm so sorry you've been experiencing this injustice. Let me help you. So he gains, the Bible says, the heart of the people. He steals it away. It says when the men and the women who would come, when they came, he would grab their hand, he would kiss them on the face. He would, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting with you. Meanwhile, David's in the palace. So he would say things in chapter 15, verse one through four, if you read some of that stuff, he would say, there's no representative of the king to hear you. If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or a case could come to me and I would see that they received justice. I'm reminded of the Lion King and that song that stuck in my head for years. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. So he, he is that, he's got that attitude. He's usurping his dad's authority. It's based on this root of bitterness. If I was king, things would be different. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 says that we ought to examine ourselves carefully so that none of us fall short of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled. It's important that you understand the connection to bitterness. There are many different avenues for it to be exposed but one of the things if you read Hebrews chapter 12 one of those things has to do with immorality says that that root of bitterness can cause so much damage. There are people in this world, people that you know, you may be one, who has either experienced a root of bitterness or is dealing with one right now. It may be from a past hurt. It may be from a, a habit or a hang-up that you had, but it, it may be some type of offense that you've carried for years. My mom's side of the family has offenses that they don't even remember what they are, but they don't talk to each other. Because at some point, somebody did something that bothered somebody else and they didn't talk about it. So now, now they don't talk. 
And that's what happens when you have a root of bitterness. It causes division. It leads to other things like sexual immorality, lying, deceit, all of these other things. Absalom's life was enraptured or wrapped up in getting his dad back for what his dad lacked, which is that aspect that he considers justice. If you want to read the story of Absalom's life, it's in chapters 13 to 20 in 2 Samuel. So he's a leader. He's got promise. He's got charisma. The Bible says he was a beautiful man. He was a handsome guy. He had beautiful hair that was talked about by everybody. In fact, it's his hair that got hung up in a tree as he was riding into battle that caused him to get stuck there and be a victim or fall prey to the enemy who killed him while he was dangling in the tree because his hair got caught in some twigs. But it talks about how he had promise, and it also says that he mounted this revolt against his dad the former, in the former capital of Hebron. He then succeeded in ousting the weakened king from Jerusalem and pursued him. So now go with me to Psalm chapter 3. I joked with Jericho earlier, I cut out a lot of pages. I hope that means I don't ad-lib a lot. Thank you, Jericho, for laughing. All right, Psalm chapter three, Psalm three. This psalm is a psalm on the run. David is, David is writing this while he's running to find a cave to hide in, to go away, because he's finding himself being chased for the second time. I would highly encourage you to read one of the most powerful extra-biblical books I've ever read in my life called The Tale of Three Kings. Gene Edwards writes that book and he talks about authority and he talks about the similarities and the differences between Saul, David, and Absalom. How they handled the things that they did and how all of the, the, the thread weaves through those three characters. It's incredible. Verse one of chapter three says this, Lord, how they've increased who trouble me. Ever felt like that? Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. I love the powerful thought that's there. That yeah, I'm on the run, but God's got my back and he's going to punch you in the mouth. (laughs) He's going to knock you out. God is going to have his way. And it says there in verse seven, or verse eight, salvation belongs to the Lord, but listen to the connection of place, of position. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's his to give or not to give. And it also belongs to his people because they're his people. 
So he says, your blessing is upon your people. Don't ever forget that. I don't know if you've been confused, and I hope I'm not shouting too loud for little Abner. I hope that in any moment that you're in, when you're confused about whether it's you that screwed it up, whether it's the devil getting in your face, or whether it's God trying to show you something, regardless of that, I hope you never lose sight of the fact that God loves you and his blessing is on his people. Psalm 61, turn there with me. Sometimes we have the scripture on the screen. I apologize, we don't. And I don't think I said this, but I'm reading from the New King James Version if you're having a a different uh, experience in your seat there. Psalm chapter 61, verses one through four. This psalm is written during the conspiracy of Absalom when he's usurping David's authority, when all of this stuff is happening. Verse one says this, hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer, like bend your ear, get down here, listen to me. Verse two, from the end of the earth, I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. David handles the scenario much differently than, uh, than others would have handled it. When Absalom is raising the conspiracy and he's coming in to take the city, David, some would say he tucked tail, but he hightails it out of there, takes all of the people with him and says, let them have the city. Well, I gotta get out of here. And it wasn't just for a salvation for him. He was just trying all the things he knew to do because he said, you know what? God, this may be God's plan. I don't know, but I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm not gonna stick around to find out if it's God's plan. I die here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna run. So in the middle of that conspiracy, David is saying, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer from the end of the earth. He must have felt, I mean, those days, no cars, no transportation was limited, that kind of thing. If he went 30 miles, it was the end of the earth, okay? So from the end of the earth, I'll cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, you can turn to substance. You can turn to relationships. You can turn to things. But God wants us to turn to him. He's the source of life. He's the one who made you. He's the one that knows you're broken. He's the one who can fix you. And so he says, David says, when my heart's overwhelmed, I'm coming to you, God. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. I wanna just break that down a little bit there. When he says, lead me to the rock that's higher than I, I think David is expressing his weakness. He didn't say, direct me. He didn't say, hey, will you tell me the GPS location? I'll go there. He said, God, I need you to lead me. Take me by the hand. David, being a shepherd before he became a king, was a sheep in this moment. Father, would you lead me to that place that's higher than I? Why is it significant that it be higher than him? I think it goes back to perspective. I think it goes back to not just being safe and there's like 15 other reasons we could say you wanna get to high ground, but here the deal is he's saying there's something above me. There's a higher power. There's a higher person, amen? And so he's crying out to him, lead me to the rock that's higher than I am. He reminds himself and reminds God 
you have been a shelter to me. If you don't know some of the little tiny minute details about David's life, he's got some cool things that happened. He defended his flock of sheep against bears and lions and tigers, oh my. No, against all sorts of things. He comes in, he defeats Goliath with no armor on. God had already set him in a place in this path, this trajectory that was leading him to the place that he was now running from. I've been there. I hadn't been like he has been, but I feel like, why am I having to run from what I know God called me to? I don't know. But here it is. He's saying, God, I know this, even though I might not know the answer to everything that I'm facing, even though I might not know the reason why I'm in the middle of it. He says, you have always been a shelter for me. What's a shelter? What do you need when you take shelter? Obviously, it's things that are going on that you've got to get away from. You've got to get safe. He says a strong tower from the enemy. It's so simple, but a tower has how many sides? Okay, thanks. I just double checking to make sure you're all awake. Thank you, Jericho. It has four sides. Okay, here, (laughs) present. He says you've been a strong tower from the enemy. You've got my back, my front. You've got me on all sides. You're protecting me. You're keeping me. A tower is not down. It's up. It's in that higher place, but I still need to go higher. So lead me to that place. You've been that place for me, he's telling the Lord. I want us in this room today to be able to say that of our God, of our great God, that when we face overwhelming circumstances, we won't so soon forget what God has done in our past. But we will remember that and we'll thank him for it. We'll praise him for what he's done. He says this in verse four, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. The tabernacle is an old word for church, okay? But in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was a place where God dwelt. The Bible tells us that the presence of God was on the earth in the ark that was there in the tabernacle. It, it, it plays a part in this story. I'm telling you, I hope I piqued your interest and you go home and read the rest of the story. David says, send the ark of the covenant back to the city. And if it's God's plan for me to get there, I know he'll let me see it in its resting place before I die. Because even though somebody's chasing me, I'm chasing God. Even though I'm overwhelmed, I'm not losing sight of the fact that his presence is what I need. So he says, I'll abide in your tabernacle forever. In that place where you rest and where your presence is, I want to be in that place when I'm overwhelmed because obviously he is in this moment. He's had a conspiracy happen. He's had somebody usurp his authority. He's had all of this tragedy in his life. He's experienced all of these things and he's saying, I'm going to stick close to the thing that I know is going to help me. And he says, I'll trust in the shelter of your wings It's interesting, some of the analogies that you can find in scripture. And in that place, when he's talking about the shelter of his of his wings, God's wings. I'm reminded of the place in Isaiah that says that we will rise up with the wings with the wings as an eagle. That otherwise, that God and he even says about God in the Old Testament that he is like a mother collecting her chicks, her 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 little babies, getting them close. The warmth is there. The security is there. Mama's beak hurts worse than his little beak does, right? So she can protect. If you've ever seen an animal in that behavior pattern, mama bear gets mad when you're messing with baby bear. (laughs) 
I've seen it firsthand. I was on a hike in the woods in, in uh, Pennsylvania, the Delaware Water Gap, and we took a school trip up there. It was awesome. The, the border between uh, Pennsylvania and uh, New Jersey, they call it the Delaware Water Gap, and that's where the water comes down, and it's white rapids. It's awesome. It's beautiful in springtime, blooming and amazing. Well, we are on this hike, and we're going up the hill, and we see these cute little baby cubs, and <clears throat> some of the kids didn't have any sense all right? And they're like, oh, this is so cute. And I remember, he, I can still hear her voice exactly what it sounded like. Beware, the mama bear is here too. This is what David's getting at. He's saying, I want you to be the thing that protects me. I don't want to stand here and fight for my own right to hold this throne. You put me here. You put me back. Are you with me this morning? So he's got this opinion, he's got this true perspective in the middle of his circumstance that says that God is going to protect him, who's going to keep him safe. And God's lashing of the enemy, he's going to break the teeth of the enemy. He's going to knock them in the jaw and crush their teeth. He's going to put them out of commission for good. Absalom never is able to rule on the throne in the heritage of David in the way that he thought he could because he suffers at the hands of, uh, of one of David's men in the middle of a battle that they face. So let's go to the starting line as we finish the message though. We talk about David's discouragement that he was expressing his weakness, that he was saying, God, lead me, not just direct me, but take me there. So as we think about this, Think back to that opening passage of 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. In the aftermath of David's sin with Bathsheba, he says these words in verse 11. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. In 2 Samuel 16, verses 20 through 22, it says this, Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give advice to me as to what we should do. So now Absalom's usurped the authority. He's gotten into the city, and he's looking at an advisor, and he says, Now what do we do? <laughs> we made it. What are we going to do? And Ahithophel says to Absalom, go into your father's concubines whom he has left to keep the house and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened or strong. Verse 22 says, so they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel. So this is David's doing. We have the ability to look back and to connect the dots and to say, okay, so he, he slept with Bathsheba, then he organizes the murder of Uriah. He's an adulterer, he's a murderer, but he's God's. He's God's kid. God's going to have his way with him. He's letting God do that. He's, a, he's giving God permission. He's letting him 
uh, lead him, even in the midst of suffering under the consequences of his own actions, not only with the death of a child that was previous uh, years ago, but now at this stage in his life, having this kind of slap in the face, and it's coming true what was said by the prophet Nathan back then about what would happen in the aftermath of his sin. I hope that scares you. It scares me. If Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that means God does care about holiness. He cares about how we live. He cares about the choices that we make. He cares about the decisions that we wrestle with. He wants to be involved in those things. Meanwhile, in the midst of this, David does talk about the people who are chasing him and God, I need you to get me out of here. He doesn't blame God. He doesn't say, God, this is your fault. He also, some, at some points, you may see that he recognizes that it's brought on by himself, but we have the, the, the 2020 vision to look back on his life and see those things that have connected and to say, wow, what a catastrophe. Yet God still called him his own. And God allowed David, not Absalom, God allowed David and is still today allowing David through his line and through his heritage to rule and to reign. The Bible says that Jesus is the son of David. So he's been brought, God's brought him to the place of redemption and reconciliation. And he can do the same thing with our mess. Whether it's the devil, whether it's the people, it's the world, it's my boss, it's my this, whether it's my family, whether it's my marriage, whether it's my doing, God wants us to be overcomers. When Jesus says, he says, I have overcome the world. He's overcome cancer. He's overcome potential divorce. He's overcome death. He's overcome financial struggles. He's overcome every aspect. He's overcome owning his own business. <laughs> he was a carpenter. I'm sure things got rough after he started upsetting people and they stopped you know, giving him business. But Jesus, while he's on the earth, he suffered the temptations that we do. And the Bible says he lived without sin and he did that. We sang it earlier. He became sin on our behalf. So it doesn't matter what you do or don't do. God loves you. The choice is up to you though as to whether you'll accept his love, whether you'll live with the knowledge of his love in your life every day, especially in the moments that you're overwhelmed. Would you stand with me?